Hello and welcome to Hypertalks and the absolute first episode of a new season, season five and a new crew. I am Linnea Berling and join here today we have my co-host Alex Aquati. And behind the scenes, uh, completing the new crew, we have uh, Andre Duvivier and Mariana Traeger. We would also love to thank Beppo's recording studio for their continuous support for HyperTalks. This season, uh, we hope to bring some new insights and explore some new angles and uh, perspective of today's problems. Um, with that, we uh, will start our uh, first episode talking about their relationship between mental health and the digital world. So. With that, I will introduce our first guest for the season. She's a digital media strategist with a background in global commercial development, working with companies as um, Discovery Channel and Fox. But that's not the only thing she does. She also works with wellness and self-development as a coach. So big welcome to Ruth Samir. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. I'm very, very excited to be here. Super excited to uh, get some of your insights and uh, yeah, really thankful that you could come and be our first guest on our first episode. Wonderful. It's my pleasure. Um, Mental health has a stigma and um, it's also a very sensitive subject and it's really nice to have you here today because you've had a, a long career working in the digital industry but you're also a wellness coach. And one of the things uh, we'd like to hear from you is, uh, have you seen any changes in the last 10 years for, should we say, positive changes? Like in terms of mental health? Uh, The attitudes towards it may be in the workplace. Uh, I think what I'm seeing in general is that there seems to be a bigger acceptance towards wellness in general. There's like a like a wellness wave that's happening. And I think the way that I would look at it is you have like traditional businesses that run in a very traditional way. And then you have in the last 10 years, a lot of like startup businesses that are kind of bypassing all the all the rule, old school rules potentially of the traditional businesses creating um, a completely new set of like kind of rules of how to operate, how to be, what to push, what to promote, like purpose-driven companies and, and, and such. And even even kind of innovative solutions within wellness, so to speak. And then I think also a lot of these companies are pushing for a different way of working in terms of like more flexibility and and things like that. And so I think that's super positive and it allows more people to um, explore a route to work for yourself um, on your own terms or at least try that, you know. Uh, and I think some of that is definitely rubbing off on some of the more traditional companies, right? So I think there is like if we... Like, for a lack of a better word, word, it's like a universal consciousness or like an awareness that is happening. But then I also think that that's probably very different if you're like working in a hospital, for instance, or yeah. if you're working in a media company or if you're working in a startup. So I think it really depends. But in general, I think it's I, from my perspective, think that it's um, a lot easier to talk about these topics these days. You know, I think in, in just everyday interactions, 
you know, talking about like sleeping or active listening or deep breathing or like nutrition and, and how this impacts how we operate as a, as a whole unit, you know, in a holistic sense. So, um, yeah, I think there's still stigma around some of the, because when we talk about mental health, it's a massive spectrum, right? We would talk yeah. about the anxieties and the depressions and, and some of that you can self-medicate, but then there's like a lot of like the, sort of heavier stuff, you know, um, that we don't talk about. And there is a massive stigma around that still. So whether that's like bipolar disorder or like schizophrenia or uh, PTSD, we don't really talk about it. Uh, but there are people directly or and indirectly impacted by those um, illnesses in our day to day still. So, but I'd say I want to I want to kind of like wrap that up in saying I think there is a positive kind of like development around uh, mental health in general. That's that's kind of my takeaway. I'm guessing uh, with mental health, it's uh, very individual. So, like from what I uh, have read, one in four people. Uh, I'm British, so one in four people in the mm -hmm. UK uh, have admitted that they struggle with uh, their mental health. And I guess when you are feeling. Uh, that you are struggling with, whether it's anxiety or whether you're um, uh, having a lack of sleep. Um, I guess your perception, is it true? Would you say that your perception of your surroundings is slightly altered? Uh, I think that's such a, uh, an interesting, but also a very complicated question because your reality is your reality and how you perceive it. And the reality is that if you are suffering from some type of mental health, it is likely that that's going to impact how you view things, you know, how you feel, how you interact, whether you interact or, or not, you know, um, do you engage in the world or do you hide away? Um, are your interactions very top level or do you kind of go deeper and tell people what you're really going through? Are you optimistic or not, you know? Um, so I think I think it really depends. But I think in short, it definitely impacts you because you're not you're not operating at your full capacity, basically. You know, you're not operating um, from like uh, from a point of like having your full health, so to speak, you know. Um, so I think it does impact how you interact, how you feel about yourself, how safe you feel in certain environments, how optimistic versus pessimistic that you feel. Uh, hopelessness can be a big one, you know. And I think there's also like, well, I, I, think, I think it's very interesting what you were saying about sleep earlier. Um, and I think there's two people that I would recommend the listeners to um, uh, look up. One is uh, an author called Matthew Walker and the other one is Anders Hansen, who we know. Yeah. And both of them are, I think, um, like some sort of like brain doctors and they've written books about like sleep and exercise and stuff. And I think they really push this like factor of sleep and how when we don't sleep enough, how that can lead to feelings of depression and anxiety that accumulate over time. So sometimes the gateway to uh, mental health challenges can be as simple as like not enough sleep, for instance. So it depends, but I'd say that definitely it will impact how uh, you feel. And to make that more concrete, I'll speak from my own experience. So uh, I've worked in, in the media for a long time, for over 10 yeah. years, international media, traveled a lot, lived in London at the time. And it was very busy, a very great time, probably the best time of my life. And I had great opportunities at working with many global brands. But I found myself... Uh, in this fog of depression and anxiety without even knowing it myself. 
I didn't know it until I came out of that bubble months after. And uh, and it did, like, the symptoms that I had was that I became antisocial, and I'm a hypersocial person. I became antisocial. I wanted to sleep a lot. A lot of the things that I loved, I stopped loving. Like, foods didn't taste good to me. Nothing seemed fun. So for someone who knows me, I would have been a totally different person. So it, it does definitely kind of, like, change how you show up in certain contexts. Yeah, and I mean, I was just thinking of what were you were saying right now with uh, that you don't notice. Like, with this, with the digital society that's uh, coming or have grown very fast, um, my thought about it is now and then that it's so much information we get all the time, we're so much on the phone, that it can be that we're actually... Uh, distracting ourselves from le- realizing that maybe we are depressed because the society is going so fast so we sort of think that this might be how where we should do but we are not feeling it so you mean like that we've accepted it as a reality for ourselves but maybe that's not the case yeah a little bit I mean, that's definitely true for me I'm an 80s baby so I grew up in an analog world I remember, I mean, going out and playing all day long. I didn't get a phone until probably late high school. I remember the time when we had one television set in the household and everybody gathered in the living room to watch TV shows and you had to, like, you know, watch whatever your brother was watching or your father was watching. I just remember being disconnected or or actually more like let's say this being connected by playing by interacting by talking by doing things whether that was cooking or different hobbies and stuff so um i still think very nostalgically and fondly back to my childhood and when i look at some of my younger family members i think it's quite sad that they never had that type of reality that they were born with these like touch screens and they really have nothing to refer back to Mm. in terms of what it means to be truly immersed in here and now what it means to what what play actually means what does play mean in the context of like knowing nothing else for me play meant when i was younger let's say when i was 10 i'd be out from nine o'clock till 9 p.m in the evening running around with my brothers and friends from the whole neighborhood and just playing like i never had in the back of my head that i need to get back to a video game or like check my phone or check my social media that didn't even exist So I think we have accepted that this is the reality. And I think for different age groups, it seems as if it's the reality, you know, on surface level. But I'm also like an optimist by heart. So I think we can also relearn how to exist within this like day and age of, you know, excessive digital access. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. What Um, do you think? Yeah, well... I I don't know. I see, as you say, I see both the positive and the the negative with it because I definitely think that it's completely new and I, it's a stress factor. And um, but I, with everything, everything bad thing, I also think maybe it can come a digital solution instead. That like maybe mental health is more accessible or you know that it's new forms you can help people 
Um, I just don't know quite how yet. Uh, and it's the balance between, you know, the fruits of innovation versus like the the, the massive compounded effect of like a, a generational behavior change is what we're looking at, right? So it just depends when you look at those things. And then is it is that even the point? It's like this is this is life now. You know, I think like one of my favorite like influencers that talks about this is Gary Vee. I don't know if you mm-hmm. guys follow him, he's just like, look, it's like embrace it. This is the way you don't 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 be so upset about your kids being on their phones all the time. You know, they're innovating, they're creating stuff. And that's one take. And that's a positive view. But I think we also need to be responsible and, and think about the fact that it's also making a lot of people feel lonely and anxious and comparing themselves. I have nieces and nephews that are fearful of posting pictures on social media that they're teenagers because they're worried about what people will think about them which Mm -hmm. is like it's a really kind of dangerous thing to um, integrate into your way of thinking at such a young age to be you know involved in so much self-scrutiny you know yeah and so I think for me it comes down to like how do you manage it because we can't we can't really impact we are we're living here in these big metropolitan cities this is how we operate but like how do we then manage it and take responsibility for ourselves for our children for our families in terms of how we interact and I think that's where there is some space for um, some self-leadership basically so for me like it comes out that uh, tech uh is here to connect people. Yet at the same time, tech is disconnecting people from each other too. So I find it super interesting to to dig a little bit deeper into, do you have any advice for our listeners and for our, ourselves to be, not not to be more conscious of their habits, but tech is not going away. I'm going to look at Instagram when I finish this podcast. We're probably going to post something on Instagram. People are going to listen to our podcast <laughs> on on Spotify or Acast. And uh, so the, the technology is constantly around us. Uh, but as a coach uh, and a passionate about self-leadership, what is it that we can do? Uh, something that I'm very big on is like, you know, in, intention. So intention and uh, understanding that, and, and like, I wouldn't start with like this. I want this to be as inclusive as possible. So nobody's perfect. Like I scroll on my phone when I'm not supposed to. I definitely waste minutes slash hours on social media <laughs> from time to time. It depends on like how I'm doing in general. But I have an intention to be like mindful about how I'm using these resources and also intentional about uh like um, making space for the things that really make me come alive, which is like exercise, time with family, quiet time, time with no electronics, cooking. I love cooking. That's a very mindful exercise for me, going out walking, seeing friends. So I think it's also like a counterbalance with knowing that this is the way that we live. But how can I schedule in some of those things that I know recharge me, you know? And for me... It's about scheduling those things in. It's really that simple. But it's it's quite kind of funny because uh, I was an '80s child too, mm-hmm. and uh, I remember uh, playing, coming home freezing cold because I'm muddy, and um, just being active constantly. And to watch TV or use a computer then was my quiet time. Mm. But it seems from uh, your answers that your quiet time is actually being active. 
it's being active or disconnected from from like you know the the constant kind of like uh, information that's coming from from digital noise from digital noise yeah yeah absolutely isn't that interesting yeah because i think all of us sitting around the table now and listeners uh, listening at home um we are all contributing in some way to the digital noise mm-hmm. yeah so it's a really really interesting uh, to think about it and i think you know with with like some of the developments that we're looking at with like on demand like i've gone from um working for, i've worked for a lot of traditional tv companies that are all struggling with this massive uh, consumer behavior change around yeah. watching content on demand and i think that also creates a totally different behavior within us where we're like just like binging something for 10 hours in a row or just coming home where you can just watch like endless amounts of of content and i think the question is like how do you feel when you're doing that like do you so so it's like it's self regulating yourself and like you're saying checking in with yourself and for me from time to time i loved i love i'm i'm like a content freak i love great content but i also know that i need to i feel the best when i'm at that intersection between being inspired but also creating and also like doing stuff not just being passive and just consuming and i think with like the incredible amount of like information podcasts and social media and all these little different data points it's very easy to become passive and when you become passive you start comparing yourself because yeah. we have like an unparalleled access to other people and what they're doing you know a very intimate view of other people's lives you know a very highlight version of that but still so i think i think it's important to not get lost into that but also to like reconnect in a very fundamental way with our own lives you know and for me um yeah ac- being active or noise free um really helps with that it's um it's funny because a couple of the points we've touched on today have been uh, sleep and comparing yourself Mm-hmm. with content and the uh the, the reason i find this interesting because there's a study last year in the university of pittsburgh that uh picked out three factors of screen time and that was uh lack of sleep for too much screen time uh comparing yourself uh to others you go onto instagram or anything and you're comparing your lifestyle to other people's lifestyle and the last one was uh self esteem hmm. so you are always searching to for your self esteem through likes or through interactions on online um so as a coach um how how do you deal with uh building up your own self esteem and what would it be that uh your advice be to others about um working on their self esteem i mean i think i would just go to the heart of that which is basically to reduce comparison because i think it's in almost impossible to be on social media today and not compare yourself in any shape or form regardless of like how you know on top of things that you might be or how much you know how much you might love yourself and just being barraged with by Im- perfect images of everybody else's life will consciously or subconsciously you will compare yourself on some level right so i think it's 
for I can just share like it because when it comes to like the work that I do as a coach, it really depends on each individual, you know, but I say for me, some of the general things is like to reduce amounts of time on social media, be very clear about who I'm following and why I'm following them. So if there's an account that makes me feel a certain way or that has represents a certain value set that, um, doesn't represent me then I unfollow that account so I try to just follow people that are um inspirational you know to me and that uplift me and that motivate me so that the content that I am consuming kind of like lifts me up and recharges me and then I think it's also like we get confident by doing things you know and so I think it's also like a sense of action so um trying things that we might have not tried before whether that's a dance class or I don't know like going on a date, writing a blog post, but just like being active, teaching somebody else, supporting somebody else, mentoring somebody else, uh, being there for a parent. There's so many, there's so many little things we can do in our day to day. But I think it's about like mobilizing and activating ourselves that we become more confident in our abilities. I, I read something today on a social media post that said that we don't know how much we know until we're trying to explain something to somebody else or teach something to somebody else. So say that you, you, Linnea, would yeah. like explain something to one of your classmates about something that you might be very passionate about. And then that will make you understand how much you know. And when you know that, you'll become more confident, for instance. So sharing, create being in context where we can share with each other and uplift each other. But I think it's about taking like a front seat kind of in your own life, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's uh, I, I think it's super interesting and also like with the two sides of that with the social media of uh, of doing stuff because I mean we all uh, that have this podcast we're students at Hyper Island uh, and I just noticed last last time I was sick how much FOMO I got mm-hmm. and how addicted on social media I got because I wanted to look at what all the other people were doing uh, which gets super destructive when I think about it um, because all of it, all of a sudden you have all this time on social media just because you want to keep up with the rest of the community is doing uh, and I could get like stressed almost of myself being like what am I doing why do I have to know why do I have to like check in so I don't miss anything Mm. sort of Mm. so you were sick yeah and by looking at social media it stressed you out which isn't very healthy when you're sick no but uh, that's super interesting Mm. yeah but I was (laughs) I mean the only reason why I wanted to see what everybody was doing just was because I couldn't be there Mm. but When I think back when I was younger, I don't think I've ever called classmates being like, what are you doing just because mm. I don't want to miss out? Mm. But it feels now and then it feels like it, for me at least, with social media, that it comes to a point that I'm on there just because I want to see a little bit too much what other people are doing because I don't want to miss out on it. What do you think would happen if you did miss out on some of that? I when when I miss out on things I usually don't I then I just dismiss it so then it's not a big deal um 
So it's also a little bit strange why I'm checking it out. But for me, I'm just seeing it as a weird behavior I've gotten through Instagram. Uh, when I know that I have to work and not be in school or am sick or stuff like that. Um, when I know I can't be there. Mm-hmm. The question is, though, is it really that strange? You know, because we all know there's been tons of news articles about it and interviews mm-hmm. with people that used to work at Google and like Facebook and these type of companies who have told us about these like algorithms that are very, very targeted. You know, they use the same type of kind of algorithms that they use in slot machines and stuff like that to kind of change the way that our brains work and our the reward systems in our brains. So really, it's kind of designed to to hook us and like pull us back in again and again and again, you know? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I think I definitely agree when I read those articles and stuff. Um And I'm. I'm also have done uh, studied it when I studied media and communication. I was mm-hmm. uh, um, writing a lot with the algorithm and the reward. Um, but the, I think for me, I realized with the awareness that I sort of can portray. portray pro- I can sort of portray how this is happening, but I don't really include me myself in mm-hmm. in that aspect of mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is super strange. I'm. It's. It comes to me as well. I will also do this. Uh, I'm not any different from the rest of the world. Sure. Yeah. Which shows you in a way how powerful it really is, right? Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Talking about power. <laughs> um, we can uh, slightly shift maybe from Instagram to another content channel, which was uh, YouTube. There was an article that came out today. It's the um, end of January right now. And it's about their content moderators have to sign a contract um, because of post-traumatic stress from moderating content on YouTube. Now, you you are a content strategist. Uh, Maybe you can explain a little bit uh, what that involved. Um, I haven't read the the article per se, but I think that it just sounds like a very stressful job because, you know, YouTube is a platform where people get to post whatever it is that they want. But at the same time, YouTube has a responsibility towards the consumers to make sure that whether it's that, that, that you know, uh, inappropriate content does not appear to the viewers. Um, and I think that's a very tough platform when you're you know, proliferating on user-generated content. So having a real person doing the moderating, as much as, like, we're hoping that algorithms is going to, you know, do that in the future. Like, today, I think for the most part, it's actual people, hence the post-traumatic yeah. stress. Um, uh, that's really this, that, that's really tough because I'm sure that they get to see... Uh, a lot of like tough stuff whether it's content or opinions in the comments you just see by the amount of videos where comments are disabled on YouTube you know um, and I think that employers need to do better in this case I think that's not solving the problem by getting people to sign their right off to you know their their mental health in that context is not the right answer you right. know So I think it's about companies need to start taking more responsibility, really. So and show more compassion. 
because that's that's a really tough job. Yeah, for sure. Like um, you say, it's. I find it very, very interesting because I uh, always playing with the idea of regulations regarding uh, just letting the internet be free uh, for everyone to just post what they want and videos to uh, up whatever they want. So in one way, companies need to be more responsible. and um, But also it seems society uh, needs to be a bit more responsible. And I'm struggling uh, right now um, with the social issues that are going on all around the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, the political problems that are happening and for me I'm feeling like we are at a time where of uncertainty and it's interesting that we're talking about mental health today because I'm not sure if it's just me and my mind that is thinking like this or is is it is it more people thinking that um, with the rise of technology in the last 15 years and the world that we're living in how, like how do we how do we solve the problems between it being the company's responsibility or the government's responsibility and how much responsibility do we take on ourselves i mean that's a really good question it's also like a very big question and if we if i kind of try to tie it back to the initial example of this article that you said about the employees at youtube like i love youtube Like and I like most people who know me know that I'm very often in the YouTube comments of various videos just to get a feel for how people are thinking really, and I I think what you see is um, a lot of like irresponsible stuff that people will say, and like you know adults will attack other adults or just like put out reckless comments about things that they would never say in person. So I think somehow also like engaging on these digital platforms. Uh, makes us think that we're absolved from a certain responsibility that we can just come out there and just say whatever and so I think for me it's like we really need to more compassion and kindness uh, and I think for sure there is a role for like you know governance on a larger scale but then there's also this like individual like how do we lead ourselves and and really think about what it is that we're saying promoting it's so easy to have an opinion today but do we know what the implication of that opinion is for the environment for a certain type of people or you know any type of situation do we really understand the implication of that so i think we just seem to be quite far removed but very kind of trigger happy when it comes to like just saying something that could be very hurtful or demoralizing to somebody else or even sharing something that could be directly like demoralizing to a community or a person or a movement, you know. Why, so why do you think as humans we do that? <laughs> Quite simply, I think it's like coming from a place of within ourselves that we're unhappy with, you know. So I think it's like um you know, it's like a life is like a mirror, you know, often when we're picking on other people, it could be because we're there's something within ourselves that we don't like or that we're in you know, conflict with. And it's so easy to spot with somebody else or you don't feel good enough about yourself. So you might want to point that out in somebody else. But I do, I think it comes with some type of, um, you know, I don't use the word self-hate is very strong, but some type of conflict that you have with yourself, you know, and that could be applied to many things. 
Yeah, but I'm regarding that with the comments. Do you think it's become a distant between uh, reality or not if people are commenting or uh, saying it out in the world? Yeah, I, I definitely think so. Because in a way, it's kind of crazy because we never had this type of like detailed um, view into what's happening, whether it's like the wildfires in the Amazons or like in uh, Australia or, you know, like floodings in other parts of the world. Or we never really had such a detailed play by play kind of insight, you know, but uh, I, I studied obviously like economics and, and, and media, but I did political science for like a term. And I remember one of our lecturers used to say that there's a threshold value, you know, people can only take in information to a certain point And after that, they sort of stop caring, you know, and I think it's about that. It's like that you may be consuming and watching stuff, but it's not really going in anymore. So you might feel distant to it. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great, great question. But I've, I've definitely thought about it just mm-hmm. with some of the people that are commenting. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's uh, starting to come, if it's this that they don't, they feel afraid to actually e- express or it is that they don't really realize that it is actually a person on the other side. Yeah, and also if we look at it in a political context, we can see that there are like a couple of really big political elections in the world that has taken the world by storm. Like we didn't, you know, whether it's in the UK or in the US or even here in Sweden in our elections where we're like, what is going on? Because we live in Stockholm, you know, we're not out in some of the other cities and I'm sure it's the same, Alex, in the UK and so on. So I think for me, that just shows that we're not connecting enough. We're not talking enough. We're not understanding. There's not enough bridges between us to like understand each other, whether that's between people from different countries or different genders, different social economic backgrounds. I think across all of it, there's just like not enough connection happening. And with connection comes like empathy and understanding. And it, it it's like um, a potential for compassion, you know? Mm. Yeah. What yeah. what is um what do, what do you know Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Yeah, I studied uh, it in uni. So it's it's it, for me. I know that's um, many decades ago this came out, but it kind of just for me comes down to uh, that. I, I I can't remember all levels me of it, <laughs> but I think the last one was self actualization. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is that right? I think so. Yeah. yeah. So it's it, it's it's about connecting with people. And it brings me back to the earlier point of that technology is supposed to connect us, but it's also disconnecting us. And um, I'm just uh, I'm just very curious. I'm just very curious about everyone who's creating content, whether they just be users or whether they be influencers or whether they be a company or a news channel. How is it in your experience that... Um, that companies are uh, dealing with ethics and morals regarding putting out content? Um, I think I think what we're seeing, like with, I think there was a lot last year around like Facebook, for instance, around political, or even before that, around like how they were proliferating certain content or um, not um, doing enough moderating around like fake news stories and stuff. I think there is a level of accountability that's happening right now that is forcing these type of companies to really take things seriously because if you if you think about it like um 
these companies have such a, a huge reach and the impact that they have through allowing this type of content on their platform, like we're talking about fake news stories, for instance, directly impacts like national political elections of some of the superpowers of this world. It's huge, you know. So some of the things that we saw, these companies being brought in front of trial and so on, I think that's really, really important. And I think whether it's happening by choice or, you know, they're being regulated, um, it's setting the tone for those type of companies and anybody else, like, you know, whether it's like a broadcast platform or a distribution platform to take things seriously in terms of the curation, the voice, the, the, the editorial ownership of what's happening on their platform and for that to be as uh, truthful and researched like as possible. I have um, an acquaintance who told me that one of their family members heard like a really uh, untrue story about Hillary Clinton during the elections in the US when Trump became the president and it was like it was just like a crazy story which shifted that person's like uh, vote from voting a certain way and voting for Trump. And that was a fake news story. So it has a massive impact. And I think it's not necessarily happening in terms of like the shift that we're seeing by choice. It's happening by regulation and a lot of pressure. But um, that's good. And I hope it's going to keep other companies like on their toes in terms of um, just taking responsibility. But yeah. do you think for every, um, I'm putting in quotations here, good company, good news channel, there's going to be another company that uh, doesn't care. Like they want, yeah. they want to do it for fun. They do it as a joke. Absolutely. And that's the hard part for the consumer today. That's really the hard part is like to really like understand where, where do I get the, the you know, well-researched stories or like, you know, stories that are, uh, delivers more context and not just like a bite-sized kind of, you know, headline you know, so I think that's the onus is is bigger on the on the consumer today more than ever. But there's, for instance, um, different news outlets. There's Tortoise Media that I've been following lately in the UK. Which one is that? Sorry, Tortoise Media. Um, so they're similar. You could say like the Economist, but like something like but it's a UK version where they do a lot of like like deeper stories, but like longer news pieces, but that are very well researched. For instance. And I think we as as consumers also need to be very careful about like getting uh, information from social media, <laughs> you know, and think that we've understood something just by watching a 60 second clip on social media. So I think we also have a responsibility to activate our filters and to understand something, go and make a deep dive into that topic. So uh, Linnea was saying uh, something interesting to me the other day um, about influencers people getting their news now from social media and whether things have changed. Can you explain what you were thinking a bit mm -hmm. more about, Linnea? Um, yeah. Um, well, I mean, the uh, specific one I was um, talking more about regarding health was this... Um, it was this health, uh, health thing in uh, United States... I think they were online therapy and it was a bunch of influencers and news that wrote about them um, and it turns out that it wasn't only therapists that were on this site helping people it was very much random people and these influencers 
they also got very much they got money from each person that gone into the service so regarding mental health this instead turned into uh influencers promoting a site for mental health mm. but instead it's actually just exploiting people yeah it's a counter effect isn't it yeah. and that that's that's really terrible and i think what ha- that's what happens when there's like a this game of like just um paying people for promotion you know in that way and not having a proper vetting process and it's it's very problematic you know and i think it's also tied to the type of power that we give influencers because i think we can all agree around this table that there are so many influencers that that we might come across and wonder why they have so many followers you know yeah definitely and i think it's it's something that we also as consumers we have to understand that we have power and we need to understand where are we pointing our attention to um and if we give somebody who uh, might be sensational or you know i don't know for a lack of a better word i'm just going to say sensational mm. um that type of attention we're also building up capital within them and they become you know powerful and they, and it could be that they're you know that there's certain influencers that should be you know like at the forefront of fashion or makeup or whatever it is but then they should be that within those sectors necessarily and not within these they shouldn't be influencers within some of these heavier topics like we're talking about because there are credible uh, people working with mental health in various communities mental health workers social um uh, social workers therapists that are out there and doing some great work and that can help highlight some of that great work that's being done out there and credible you know because there are some online apps uh, that are very credible and very good you know mm-hmm. i use a few just for meditation i use insight timer i've used headspace before i've used calm uh, i've had one interaction with like an online therapy i can't remember what it was it was a while ago just to try it out um and it was good you know but then how do i know whether that person was an actual therapist or not i just assumed it was so because that was that was marketed to me in that way but so all in all i think um i think that this whole like influencer bubble that's happening it's it's kind of on its way down <laughs> um and um uh and that's actually what i've heard from somebody that i that i know that works within that space you know mm-hmm. that it's not the way it used to be that brands just throw like insane amount of money on influencers but they want it to be like more targeted and more credibility but so so but really what i want to say on this point is that I'm a, I'm a massive believer of self-leadership. We really need to be careful about where we're pointing our attention. Who are we giving credibility and why? Mm. You know, and understand the power in that. And and that is uh super interesting that you talked about Headspace and the apps that are out there. Mm-hmm. And I'm all for um I'm all for people using what helps them. That's uh that's great. So Headspace and then there's uh Moodfit which is one of the bigger ones mm-hmm. that combines mm-hmm. a few uh but as a, a real person Ruth, mm-hmm. how how is it uh how is how how is it for you as a coach wait where where it seems like it's not your job but like in a sense but technology is trying to uh automate coaching as a, mm. re- a mm. as a real person like uh, what's your what's your views on um 
it becoming digital? You know, you mean digital as in um, like a chat or digital as in like video calls? So, or? For, so for example, if I am struggling with men- my mental health, instead of calling a uh, therapist or mm-hmm. instead of calling a coach or something like this, I just turn on my phone and use an app. Mm. How is how ha- have you thought about it? Yeah, and you know, I think it's that question is kind of complex because. Uh, for when it comes to therapy, like at least here in, in the area of Stockholm, like the average is like a thousand kroners per hour. That's like for what is it like a hundred euros per hour ish. That's a lot of p- money for some people. And for you guys who are students, that's a lot of money to go per hour, you know, to pay that type of money. So to have access to somebody to talk to for a lower price is, you know, it's very um, interesting. And I also think that some people are scared of getting into the room and talking to somebody. So for some people, it could work. And I think it's good that we have solutions on different levels of accessibility. But we still shouldn't um, kind of like discount like real one-to-one interaction. I've been in therapy and like um, I have had coaches. I've been in therapy where I was with the person in the same room. And for that period of my life, I really needed the one-on-one interaction with that person. It's a very intimate topic that I was like working through. So I think it was very helpful for me to do that. In other cases, when I've had coaches and um, I've had coaches that are in New York, that are in uh, LA and so on, and then it's been video calls. And that's really worked very well for me. So I've been able to take the calls like from my home. And that's how I work with some of my clients too. And it does work. But um, I think it just really depends. But I think at some point uh, we will benefit from kind of engaging at least through like a video call with somebody to get truly get a feel for that person. Because ultimately it's about human connection, right? You want somebody to hear you out and to build that trust for somebody to hear you out. You need to get a feel for that person. I want to know who you are before I put all my trust in you and tell you my you know, what's yeah. what's what's really like, what I'm really struggling with, which is super personal. So, but I, I, I don't really want to kind of like knock the apps. I think it's good that we have solutions on, 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 on different levels, you know. And for somebody, it might be like kind of like a gateway into the next thing where it's like, oh, I've tried like the app. Maybe I'll go and see somebody in person now. So it could it could be helpful, like a progression thing. Yeah, I mean, I that's actually a good point you're pointing out that it can be um, a gateway mm-hmm. to something mm-hmm. um, if you are scared. Mm-hmm. Uh, haven't thought about that actually, but what that's you, a great point. Yeah. What do you guys think about the apps? I mean, um, I think like you in the sense of I I don't think an app or a phone can replace the face to face interaction the personal bond um i i don't see how it can be as deep or or like meaningful or if you're wor- working on something personal um i think uh having a face-to-face conversation a therapist can see also okay now i can see on your body that you're stressed or you have anxiety um it's not you can't fake it in the same way Mm. Um, but then I'm all for like the breathing app and sort of those to have in between maybe meetings to to help yourself get back to a breathing rhythm 
Because if you get a panic attack or whatever down mm. on the street, you can't have a psychiatrist with you all the time. Yeah. And then it can be a great tool to just go back to the now stage. I agree. And I'd say like my favorite app is probably Insight Timer, which is like a, a global meditation community. And they have like tons of stuff for free. So you don't even need to pay. So it's like really beautiful. So um, and the, my favorite person that I follow there, her name is Sarah Blondin. She has some beautiful meditations. Maybe I'll send you guys a link. You can link it in the notes. Yes, but, please. Um, yes, yeah. Definitely please. do um, that. Um, sorry, are you meditating every day or? Um, not every day. It really depends. But yeah, but I try. I try my best. Right now, I'm doing a 21 day meditation challenge with a group of friends, so I am doing it every day, um, every morning, in fact. Uh, but not always. Uh, and I, it's funny. Like I think. Um, some people think like when we talk to when you talk to a coach or somebody who works self-development that they've got everything figured out we don't <laughs> so I, I know that it's something that that came out of last year is that I have a resistance towards meditation there's something that, that I'm working through and I've had a mindfulness coach myself to work through that and I, I feel great when I do it but there is a certain resistance there and I think this year I'm taking a more of an interesting approach like a curious approach to it as opposed to like why am I not meditating and just being like okay let's see let's see let's see what this is about and but but so let's say I'd meditate a handful of times per week and every time I do um it's um It just fills me with like a lot of peace and focus and clarity. And sometimes my meditations aren't like sitting down in like a um position, but it's like going for a walk without like headphones or I, I love going for like long nature walks. So or without my phone or sometimes it's just like cooking at home with no YouTube video on, no podcast, no nothing. It's just me cooking. That's a mindful. That's like a type of meditation for me as well. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm... Um I I once had a, uh, a CBT therapist. Is mm -hmm. that right? A mm -hmm. Cognitive behavioral therapist. Yeah. And um, it was about six years ago, and I uh, was working as a preschool teacher, and I was struggling with anxiety and uh, depression, and uh, I used to go and see this therapist. And I sometimes would be a little bit late, but I'd run. I'd run to the therapist because uh, they would teach me mindfulness. Mm -hmm. And after 10 sessions, um, mindfulness really stuck with me uh, throughout uh, throughout now, the last six years. So even if I'm on the train, just to learn how to focus on my breathing, um, just for a minute, is sometimes just enough. Yeah. So um, unfortunately, I've been a little bit bad of it, bad at it this year so far, but I got very inspired by you today, and uh, I will think I afterwards I will take some self leadership <laughs> and uh, do some breathing exercises. Yeah, that's lovely. So I'm thinking uh, maybe we could wrap up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I uh, I've had a very fun first episode. I've had some uh, I've had some nerves. But it's been super interesting having you here. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, I agree. Lovely. Loved that you were the one that uh, kicked off the season. <laughs> like very inspiring subject yeah. as yeah, well. You made me feel very welcome. So before we finish, mm -hmm. uh, it'll be amazing to check out together. Mm -hmm. And uh, this will just wrap up our time together. Mm -hmm. 
what is something that I can do today that actually helps someone else? I think today I will send out some appreciation to uh, family and friends. I think that can uh, help them. Um, and also to call them, not to text. Now we talked about the digital. Um, yeah, so I think that will that's what I will do. Yeah, like I was I was actually thinking about the same thing. It's just making more time for the people that you love and care for. So for me, it's it's specifically calling my mother because I haven't called her yet today. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I have a few people that I, I need to uh, connect with today and that I want to connect with. Uh, some of them that I'm going to help with some specific practical things. And that's something that also fills me up is just to like check in show that you care uh, check on them so yeah how about you um, actually I, I feel a little bit similar maybe it's the conversations we've been having yeah. but um, I feel that I need some connection I uh, I want to talk to my community that uh, that is close to me mm-hmm. and um, I think after after we leave the studio today I'm uh, going to make some phone calls too just to share some appreciation because when someone contacts me it makes me feel good it makes me feel loved it makes me feel seen and important uh, but sometimes uh, maybe I should do it more often towards others so yeah. I'm, ch- I'm checking out feeling very um, grateful for uh, this time to talk about uh, connection yes and I mean with that being thankful just uh, also uh, that we're very very thankful for Beppo Studios we have to be thankful to Beppo's yes exactly it's lovely here I see the director laughing in the background there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah we hope to see you on uh, episode 2 uh, not see you we hope to have your ears on le- uh, episode 2 and uh, thank you thank you Ruth thank you everyone yeah. bye